0: Thank you, Bill. It's quite a thing to think about how do we approach God. I was stuck <laughs> with that one. How true is it for in your lives um, as we, you know, approach God? Sometimes it's, you know, happy and excited. I know I've had that in my life. I've had that in my life where I approach God in anger or just bewilderment of saying, where are you? Why are you not here? Why are you not listening? And Jonathan was reflecting on the passage that we read today of of how God is always there. And we can always approach God, and we might not feel that He's there, but whenever you look back, He has been. So if you can look or read with me this week, um, we are reading from Luke chapter 23, verses 13 through 35. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked alongside them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in the word, indeed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and they told us they had seen visions of angels who had said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together, saying, It's true! The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread.
1: Challenge accepted. Who's going to be more interesting, kids, me or the video? Don't answer that out loud. not allowed to answer that out loud. Uh, Well, welcome. It's great to be with you again. Good morning, church. How are we feeling? We good? We good? That's good. Uh, Please, if you have your Bible, open it to Luke chapter 24 or navigate there on your smart device. Uh, We're going to go old school this morning, and by old school, I mean... uh, no slides. So you're going to use the built-in slide presentation that God gave you, called your imagination, and you're going to use the two receptacles on either side of your uh, eyes, your ears, and we're going to listen and we're going to we're going to trust that God's going to speak to us uh, as we look at His Word together. Uh, Emily invited me this week. She said, "Hey, Jonathan, it'd be great if you could just share some stories, you know, from Kick when you when you come and, and you talk." Uh, when I say Kick, I'm referring to the Katoomba Youth Christian Convention. I know the letters don't match. I don't know why they stick with the acronym, but uh, the Ketumbi Youth Christian Convention. And we're up in uh, we were up in the mountains this weekend, and uh, Emily said, oh, I'll share some stories. So I'm going to start with a story, um, but the names have been changed to protect the innocent. And uh, so I'm not going to actually divulge who this story is about. Um, but funny things happen when you go away. When you go away, uh, you're put in a new environment. And one of the things about being in a new environment is is uh, you're sort of faced with situations you didn't face before and this particular story has comes from one of our youth leaders again who will rela- remain nameless uh, so I'm not telling stories on a kid uh, this is one of our leaders, so this, is, this is an adult person and uh, and, and the story goes like this. Uh, we were gathering around in free time yesterday and, and we were having fun, we're there playing Uno uh, and we're passing the cards around, having a good time, having a bit of chit chat. And the youth leader leans over to me and says, hey, did you notice how, how short the cord was to, to the kettle? It was really, really short. I said, oh, well, what, what do you mean? They said, ours is like, it's like, it's like this big, it's like this long. I said, really? He said, yeah, yeah, it's about, about this big. But, but we developed a workaround. I said, oh, what, what'd you do? Well, we stacked the plates. So we stacked the plates, and then we put the kettle on top, and then with the cord, we just plug it right into the wall. And I just sort of casually said, I said, did you turn over the base of the kettle? Because they often wrap the cord around the bottom. And, and the person's face just went, oh. And, and, and we all laughed for a really, really, really long time. And, and, and even the kids were laughing as we're sharing this story, right? But new environment, right? It's not my home. It's not my thing. New, new environment. I'm in this situation. And, and, and you discover things, right? Well, we come to this, to this passage, and, and the main question that we're going to be wrestling with today is, do you know the Lord is risen? I'm not saying, have you heard the Lord is risen? Do you know the Lord is risen? There's a difference. You see, if you don't know the Lord is risen, and you're trying to live out this Christian faith, it's, it's kind of like trying to function in a kitchen where you, get, you got a kettle that a cord that's this long. <laughs> and this passage is given to us this morning to show us the difference. And when you actually encounter the risen Lord, when you know the risen Lord, it's, it's a bit like flipping that base of the kettle over and saying, oh, this is how it's meant to be. This is how it's supposed to work. But so often we're we're stuck in our own frame of mind, our own frame of reference, and, and we're, we're, we're very creative, you know? We're trying to make this Christian thing work, right? We're stacking things up, and we're, we're, we're rearranging our, our life, and, and we're trying to do everything we can to, to work with a, with a faith in a Jesus who's about this big. Mercifully, thankfully, we have stories like this about what it means to encounter the risen Lord, what it means to know that Jesus is alive, we are in uh, luke twenty four verses thirteen to thirty five and by the way, if you find out who this person is, don 't give them too much of a hard time it 's just you know we 've all been there right we 've all been there as we come to, as we come to the passage, I want you to be wrestling and thinking through this. Do I know the Lord is risen? Do I know the Lord is risen? Or is this, is this something for me that's I've merely heard and I'm still sort of weighing up? The key verse in the text for us to understand what's going on here, I think, is actually verse 21. It all has to do with... This thing in grammar called the tents. (laughs) I think the NIV has it right. They've translated it here, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. So as we encounter these disciples on the road, you need to realize you're encountering people who who are not positively reminiscing about all the things that just happened. These are people who are disappointed. They've lost hope. You see, they said we had hoped, past tense. Anyone who's been in a failed relationship or, or a failed job or any, any sort of space where you've extended yourself and it just hasn't gone the way you thought it was going to go, you might be able to relate to this experience. You might say, I, I, I had hoped, I, I'd, I'd invested so much of myself in this going the way I thought it was going to go, and it hasn't. And now you're grappling in the midst of disappointment. And I wonder if for some of us, spiritually, we're disappointed. Spiritually, our hope is living in the past tense. You See, I had hope in Jesus. I'd hope that he was going to free me from this. I'd hope that he was going to turn my life around. But here I am, and I feel stuck. Maybe you can relate to that. To understand what's going on in this text, that is a very important verse that we need to reckon with. We'll get to the big idea in just a minute, uh, towards the end of the message, sorry. But I just want right now for us to pray and for us to ask the Lord what what it might take for our vision and our understanding of Jesus' being alive to be extended and expanded. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we come before you today. We pray that you would open our eyes to understand who you are through the word here presented to us. Lord, may you give our hearts freedom as we hear. Lord, may we listen in faith and not simply according to our own understanding. But may we come to you expecting that the God who is above all things, the God who is creator of everything, is the creator of me and has enabled me to receive a kingdom that's bigger than I am. So Father, would you speak to us today? In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. As we go through this text, it's a wonderfully balanced story that Luke presents for us. And by that, I mean there's a wonderful parallel between uh, what's going on at the beginning and what goes on at the end. In order for us to understand this, it really starts with the geography, In Luke's gospel, we have been looking at the importance of going to Jerusalem. The whole middle section of the gospel is about Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. The whole last third of the gospel is about Jesus in Jerusalem. And for the first time since way back in Luke chapter 9, we have people journeying away from Jerusalem. Leaving Jerusalem the city of God. That's important. It's important as we try to understand Jesus' return and what it, means, what it means for these ones. This morning, I'm going to uh, unpack for us how Jesus draws near. And if you're someone who likes headings, I'm gonna give you these four, these four headings. The first is the patience of Jesus. The second is the purpose of Jesus. The third is the person of Jesus. And the fourth is the people of Jesus. Those are our four headings this morning, and we'll unpack that as we go. First, I want to show you the patience of Jesus as he draws out our faith before engaging our sight. Follow with me, verse 13. Now, that same day, what day? Easter Sunday. We're still at Easter in this text. That same day that Jesus walked out of the tomb, two of them, two of those disciples who were back there hearing the report of the women, two of these disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And as the NIV says, for all of us living outside of North America, 11 kilometers. Thank you. I was thinking on the drive down, 11 kilometers, that's about the walk from this church to my house. They're going on this journey away from Jerusalem. Verse 14, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. You you, you can read that casually and say, oh, they're just sort of chewing the fat, you know? Oh, wasn't that interesting when, you know, he got arrested? Oh, wasn't wasn't that interesting when Judas led him to the garden? You know, (laughs) who would have seen that coming, you know? Oh, what did you think when they sliced off the guy's ear? This is not a casual conversation, folks. You don't talk about these things in a casual way. And in the original language, that, that intensity comes forward in a way that is probably tough to present in English. You have two people who are in deep conversation. And it's not as if necessarily they're on the same page. There's a back and forth going on here. There's an intensity to this chat that they're having. As they talked and discussed these things or debated these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Isn't that a wonderful entrance? These two walking away from Jerusalem and Jesus, the text says, drew near to them. But you need to see the patience of Jesus because he doesn't walk into the conversation and say, hey guys, it's me. Here I am. No. He just casually enters into their sphere. There's no thundercloud. There's no miracle other than his presence there. There's no, nothing really to indicate to them that anything out of the ordinary is going on when he joins them. And it makes us wonder, is the Lord with me now? And I don't know it. We're told they were kept from recognizing him. He that is Jesus asks them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? A very innocent question, a casual question, you might say. But I love how everything that Jesus seems to say, from the time he's in Jerusalem, I mean everything in general, but every every question he asks, from the garden through the arrest, through everything, everything seems designed to engage people in a way that draws out faith, even something as simple as, what are you guys debating about here? They stood still, their faces downcast, and this is a picture for us of, of really what their attitude and their mood is like. They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? This is the whole, what are you talking about? You tell me you don't know what's going on here. How can you not know what's going on? Is their question. Their faces are downcast. Jesus, again, continues to engage. What things, he asks. It's important for us to to stop here and just to recognize Jesus is interacting with them and they don't know it. He's calling out. He's putting his finger on the sore spot. Their faces are downcast. Jesus doesn't come into the conversation and say, oh, you know, don't worry. I'm sure tomorrow there'll be new things to talk about. He doesn't say, you know, why don't you look forward to something into the future? No, he presses into the sore spot. He presses into the space where they are sad. And in that, we see the patience of Jesus. Jesus cares more about your faith than the big reveal. There will be a big reveal. There will be a time when it is time, there's no more discussion, there's no more faith. It's just, bang, here it is. But as he's journeying with his disciples who lost hope, he wants to draw out their faith. The patience of Jesus. Don't mind me, I'm going to grab this stool because I'm feeling a bit sore. (laughs) I want to say thank you, by the way, to everyone who's been praying for me. Um, I've felt much better this week than I have in a very long time. So thank you, thank you. So the patience of Jesus, the patience of Jesus that he sits with them and he lets them draw this out, and it should be a lesson to us, if things are difficult and your hope feels like it's, it's running out, like someone's just punctured a hole in your spiritual life and your hope is just draining out and running down the gutter, the solution is not to simply throw it all out, to simply walk away, to simply leave. Jesus is even with those who are walking away. Next We see the purpose of Jesus. And here, the purpose of Jesus is is disclosed in God's word that is spoken to them. What things, Jesus asks? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, and then they recount his ministry. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped, there's that verse, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as they said, but they did not see Jesus. Do you feel the back and forth of that tension? They're still coming to grips with the fact that the Messiah was hung on a cross. They'd spent years walking around with him, watching him do miracles, and they couldn't fathom how the one who could multiply loaves and calm storms and raise people from the dead couldn't just get down off a cross. Why couldn't he get down off the cross? They didn't have a box for this. How can God's king, how can the deliverer, how can someone who's going to rescue me not rescue himself? And yet at the same time, you, you, you sense this, this bewilderment. And, and then we get this report. And then we get these people saying they went to look for him and he wasn't there. And they go and check out, but we still don't see him. We don't know where he is. You see, a lot of people will walk out of church and will walk away from Christ and will <laughs> spiritually leave Jerusalem a lot of people left the church during COVID. And I don't think the reasoning is all too dissimilar. People will leave God's people, God's dwelling place, oftentimes when suffering hits and it comes in a way that doesn't compute with their expectation of what God would do and how, what, would, what it would look like. If God is all powerful and if he's all good, then why on earth is this happening to me? And, and, and it's so hard to live in that dissonance. It's so hard to live in that space where, where my hope is up here and my expectation of Jesus is up here and my reality feels like it's way down here. And a lot of people just leave because they can't stand that and they can't make sense of that. And I want to say two things here. One, if you stayed... The Lord sees your faith. I don't discount how tough the last few years have been. And if you've stayed with the Lord and with his people, I just want to acknowledge you're holding that tension. You've been holding that tension for a long time. And it's not just COVID. It's all the other stuff that people don't see, that they don't know what's going on in your life. You're living in that tension. But secondly, if you're someone who said, you know what, I can't do that. What I need you to hear is this. Jesus knows when you walked away. And of all the places he could be, he was happy to join these two people who were walking the other way. And so, we should be happy to come alongside those who were walking the other way. You know, sometimes in the church, we we wanna be so protective of of faith and and spirituality and maturity, we wanna be so protective of it that we don't give space for people who are just disappointed. There's, just no, there's no space for anybody who's, whose faith is feeling weak, who's, whose flesh is raging at them, who's trying to grapple with the circumstances of life. And, and the church becomes a hostile place because we're so protective of that. Well, there's a verse in the Old Testament that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. God has never said you need to get it. He hasn't said, you know, the key to salvation is you being able to rationalize it in your brain. Heaven is for those who can make perfect sense of it. God doesn't say that. He says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God's not sitting up in heaven saying, you know, I'm really just looking for those people that are really clever and can really figure it out. No, he's saying, "I just want people who trust me. I just want people who will listen to me, who will take me at my word, who will tremble at my word, who will recognize my authority with such clarity." And lean into that. The purpose of Jesus is about to be disclosed to these ones. It's disclosed in his word. They're disappointed but look what Jesus says. He says to them, how foolish are you and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. I mean (laughs) I want to know how long that conversation, I mean how long did he listen? That's always my question with these things, right? How long does he listen? How long does he let them go on? You know, up to this point in the conversation Jesus is just saying, oh what are you talking about? Oh. What else, you know, what do you think about that? It's it's he's, he's probing, he's listening. And then he comes out the gate with this. You fools. <laughs> How slow are you of heart? And this is important. Sometimes God needs to hit us over the head with a brick. Again, if your God's not big enough to knock you over the head and say, hey, wake up. You're slow to believe. You're really thinking like a fool. You're you're trying to do this Christian life. You're you're, you're trying to, it's like God says, I don't know what you're doing, but just, just stop, just stop. You know, here we are, stacking plates, trying to get that kettle to, you know, trying to stretch that. And God's just like, just just stop. Stop with the plates. And we want to say, No, but there's more plates over there. I think stop. Put the plates down. This is Jesus saying, Wake up. But what's the rebuke? You're slow to believe. All that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? This is the key piece. The purpose of Jesus was that he would attain his glory through suffering. That's the key piece. And to be honest, it's the piece I think we struggle with. For the Jew to be hung on a cross was a scandal that the Messiah would, would have to suffer like that, who would listen to him? And the Gentiles look at that and they say, this is just foolish. This makes no sense whatsoever. You know, I'd love to tell you that this always makes perfect sense. It, do, it doesn't. If I showed you some of my journals, and I'm sure if I read some of yours, you know it's not f- filled as much as I would like with, gee, God, your plan is perfect. It's not filled with, I see it now. No, if you read most of the things I write down when I'm in my private moments and I'm, and I'm quiet before God, what I'm saying is, God, this doesn't make sense. Where are you? Why is this happening to me? Not that I'm expecting him to necessarily answer that for me, but, but, but I just want him to know that I have no idea what's going on. So before we castigate these two, take a moment and say, you know, how does suffering impact my faith? How does my suffering impact my trust in God? Have there been moments when I've wanted to just pack it up and say, you know what, this was a fun thing for a while. That was a good three years, was a good five years, a good 15, 20 years, maybe a good 40 years, a good 50 years as a Christian. And you say, you know what, frankly, I feel like I've explored all this and I'm just ready to pack up my little knapsack and hit the road. But Jesus says the key is to believe what's been spoken. And then verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. You need to lock this in. If you don't believe the Old Testament, you won't believe the New Testament. If, if you don't believe what God has been saying from the beginning, you won't understand who Jesus is. You can can know Jesus with faith that's faith like a child and is very, what we might call, simplistic. It can be true, absolutely. But as you go in the Lord, you have to know him as he's been revealed in his word. You won't understand who Jesus is without it. He'll be a miracle worker. He'll be an oddity. He'll He'll be just this this big figurehead he'll fill in the blank but Jesus said the Messiah had to suffer before he entered glory it won't make sense without it so we've seen the patience of Jesus we've seen the purpose of Jesus the purpose of Jesus is disclosed in God's word as it's been spoken to us then we come to the actual person of Jesus himself verses 28 to 32 where we see the person of Jesus disclosed in God's grace offered to us I love what Joel Green, one commentator, said about this, and I'm going to paraphrase right now. Joel Green said, in the same way that you cannot understand who Jesus is apart from the Scriptures, so you cannot understand the Scriptures apart from encountering the person of Jesus. The two feed into each other. And we'll hear their testimony of what happened on the road later on. But right now, they don't believe yet even as they're hearing the greatest biblical theological sermon ever preached. Verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. Just pause for a moment here. It's just a a word of caution to those of you walking away. If you're in process of walking away, Jesus doesn't just hang there forever. He's not just... Yep, I'm here forever. I'll just keep walking around while you continue to ignore my presence. He's like, I'm moving on. Look what they do. They invite him in. Verse 29, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's near the evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. They don't know it's him yet. They don't know it's him, but they know there's something in what he's saying. And so it's encouragement to you who are walking away. Don't give up the search for truth and meaning. Don't give up on it. Don't turn in your chips. Don't turn in your car. Don't don't say, I'm out of here. They invite him in. Stay with us. So he went in. And now what we hear is reverse hospitality. Verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. 50 points to somebody who can name. Where is this from? Where would they have seen this before? Somebody, anybody. What? Last Supper. 100 points if you can name another place where they would have seen this. Yes, at the Last Supper, where else? The bread and the fish, fish. exactly. The bread and the fish, the feeding of the 5,000, the exact same thing. 100 points, 50 points. (laughs) The points mean nothing. This is key to who Jesus is. John is so fascinated with this that when he writes his gospel and he's trying to unpack the identity of Jesus, you get this whole discourse in John chapter six about what it means for Jesus to be the bread that came down from heaven, that gives life to the many. And the miracle came forth in this picture of Jesus breaking the bread and giving it out and distributing it. And do you remember? Was anybody hungry afterwards? Nope. Was there leftovers? Yep. And at the table when he did it, he said, this is my body broken for you at the last supper. So they see this. He gives thanks and he broke it. Verse 31, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They saw what they needed to see. Jesus may not give you everything you want to see. You might want to see the whole picture. And from the beginning, you might want to say, God, I want to know which, you know, I want to see all the twists and turns of my life. Show me everything. You're probably not going to get that. I don't think I would have wanted it, to be honest. What does Jesus give them instead? A revelation of his presence enough to restore their hope. A revelation of his presence enough to restore their hope. And how is his presence manifested to them? Through the breaking of bread, which is another way of saying it's God's grace. Jesus' offering of himself. It's, It's that combination, their understanding of what was foretold of who Jesus is, and it was the understanding of the grace that would come to them through Jesus. This combination led to a revelation of his presence. You won't know who Jesus is if you haven't believed the word spoken about him and you won't know who Jesus is if you haven't personally received his grace. I'm tired. (laughs) Forgive me. This is so important. It is, you you can read the Bible so many times. You can can attend lectures. There are so many good books and podcasts that have excellent theology. And and you you can know it. You can internalize it. You can even assent to it. But that is different than putting your faith in it. You see, because faith, as one of the speakers said over the weekend, I love this line, faith is visible. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone's going to see your faith, but what it does mean is your faith will translate into some action. It will translate into some some reality, some some actual manifestation of of a particular obedience or circumstance in your life, your faith will translate into something visible. The demons have great theology. They do not have faith. You will not be saved simply by being able to answer a theological quiz about who Jesus is. You have to receive the grace that he came to give you. And I don't know why it is. Maybe it's our pride. Maybe it's our own self-sufficiency. I don't know why it is. But for some reason, that's hard. It's hard to just say, yes, Lord, I'll I'll have it. I've seen the patience of Jesus, the purpose of Jesus, the person of Jesus, and I pray you encounter him. I just want to give testimony, and thank you for those who were praying. We had... Half a dozen of our group made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ yesterday. Isn't that fantastic? I'm sorry, we gotta have more than that. That is like, I don't know if you heard me. So I'm gonna say it again. We had half a dozen young people Stand up before their peers, strangers, and acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus Christ and express a personal desire and a personal acceptance of the grace that he came to give them. Do you know what heaven's doing when that happens? Rejoicing, rejoicing, that is no small thing. As I transition to my last point, you need to know they need you to walk with them. Do not leave them on their own. Do not leave them floundering, twisting in the wind. We ought to be appalled. If we stand back and say, huh, let's see how this faith in Jesus works for you. Oh, that's an abhorrent thought. And I wish I'd never seen it. But I've seen it. We need you to walk with them. We need to walk with each other. Last point, people of Jesus draw near to one another as we behold his glory. Look what happens next as we move through the story. Verse 32, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Wow. Some of you know this experience. You know what this is like. You know that experience before you came to an understanding of who Jesus was as you're maybe even growing in your faith. And as the word of God is unpacked, as the truth of God is revealed in your spirit, in your heart, you feel a kindling. There's a heat and a warmth and a light that begins to to come into your life. And so what do they do next? They got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. (laughs) Let's go back the 11 kilometers. Let's go. You see how balanced this narrative is? You see what Luke's trying to say? You lose hope, you will walk away from the people of Jesus. When you find hope, you run to the people of Jesus. Jesus. Why? Because you know the same glory. You know the same revelation. You know the same Lord. You want to be together. And look what happens. They show up. They got up, returned at once. There they found the 11 and those with them. And they walk into the middle of this conversation. They're gathered there together. Notice the 11 hadn't left. For all their misunderstanding, they hadn't left. These two had packed it in. But they run back, they find him there, and listen to what happens. It's true, they said. This is what they're hearing them saying. It's true. What is true? The Lord is risen. It is a subtle difference between some women said to us that the Lord had raised versus saying, it's true. It's true. He wrote. My savior lives, he's alive. And notice, he's appeared to Simon, what? (laughs) Another resurrection appearance, We, we don't even see it coming. We're so busy journeying with those who lost hope, we didn't realize Jesus also showed himself to Simon. And then the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. one indicator of where your hope is at, whether it's alive or your hope is in the process of dying is do you, do you draw near to the people of Jesus or do you withdraw from the people of Jesus because if you withdraw from the people of Jesus there's a sense where the thing that they're on about is not something that I believe or receive or trust in anymore but when you have that light, that spark in your eyes, you've, you, you've known that burning in your spirit and you recognize that I know the Lord and you want to be with people. Tell me, have you seen him? Did you see him too? How did he show himself to you? Tell me the story and I'll tell you my story. They left Jerusalem dragging their feet. They ran back to Jerusalem only to discover it wasn't just for them. Oh, brothers and sisters, Jesus is so big. He is so great. He is so good. He has grace that is sufficient for you. But more than that, he has grace that is sufficient for all of us. All of us. So many of us get bogged down and we try to have this sort of pecking order in the church. Well, you know, I want to make sure that I'm sort of Sort of high up so that I make sure that I get, you know, when Jesus is passing the grace out, I make sure I get a good helping, you know. I don't want to be served last. And, you know, so if I, you know, if Jesus sees me working in the kitchen or Jesus sees me, you know, vacuuming the floors then I, I know, he's going to know when I'm there and when the grace gets shared around, I'm going to get my helping. There's grace for everybody. There's hope for everybody. Are you drawing near to his people or are you withdrawing from his people? We wanna see his glory. His glory is gonna be manifested in the lives of human beings. We talked about this last night with the kids. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God comes, it's gonna come physically, it's breaking through physically right now. We see miracles, we see people engaging in all sort of mighty spiritual works. The kingdom of God has a physical dimension to it, absolutely. And it's only gonna be greater and greater and greater as the Lord draws near. But the kingdom is spiritual first, and every single heart that is lit a flame and is kindled and is turned back to Christ is a miracle, is, is a manifestation of the kingdom of God, the reign of God over the believer. How do you know that, Jonathan? Ephesians chapter 2 puts it very simply. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead people have zero capacity, but God who is rich in mercy has made us alive in Jesus Christ. It's a miracle that you trust him. It's a miracle that you have hope in him. The kingdom of God is advancing, and it's advancing in the lives of men and women. If we're not with each other, we're missing out on reading the news, How many of us are addicted to the news feed? We want to know what's going on in the world. What if we were addicted to the kingdom of God news feed? And we wanted to know, what's the kingdom of God doing in your life? What's the kingdom of God doing in his life? What's the kingdom of God doing in my? And we begin to share that. It's powerful. The king returned. He had already rose, but he returned to them. How did they see it? They saw it through the word, and it was confirmed at the table in the sharing and the grace that they have been given. We're about to gather around this table, and you need to know that this table is not merely a memorial. There's a memorial aspect to it, Absolutely. But if this were just a memorial, it might be sort of a a spiritual cenotaph or, or, or a spiritual sort of day of remembrance. And here we are just talking about our fallen hero. But we're not talking about our fallen hero. We're talking about our risen king. So as we gather around this table, yes, remember, but also, also rehearse. Rehearse. Because this is an anticipation of the wedding supper of the Lamb. We're going to have a song that's played while you're collecting the elements. It's called, Is He Worthy? And it asks a question. It's it's one of those songs that's, it's a song and it's a call and response. Is he worthy? And so the worship leader is asking and the person and the congregation is, is responding. I'd love for us to bring this song into our corporate worship. But it's good for you today just to hear it. It might be familiar to some of you, maybe not many of you, but it's all built around that question. Is Jesus really who he says he is? Let's pray as we prepare our hearts for the table. Father in heaven, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We thank you that we serve a risen Savior. Lord, would you bless and encourage and strengthen us? May our hope not fade and Lord, as we gather around this table, we, we remember, yes, what you've done, but we also rehearse the coming and the return. Lord, we celebrate how you have shown yourself to us in the grace that we've been given. Thank you, Jesus, that you're merciful to those who doubt, that you don't just leave those who walk away, but you go after them. Thank you that you went after these two. May we know today that you have risen. Amen.